Good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. It's good to see all of you today. Let's start with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for your word. Your word is a lamp for our feet, and it's a light for our path. We thank you, God, that we can come here today and worship you. We thank you, God, that we can come here and learn more about you. We thank you, God, that you're God with us, and that's what you remind us in the Christmas season, and you're God with us even as we go into a new year. We trust you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We want to praise you today. We want to be closer to you today. So draw us nearer, precious Lord, to you through your word, through your spirit. Please speak through me. And God, please guide us in a deeper understanding of who you are and what you want to say to us today. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, our passage, as you can see in your worship guide, our passage today is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 through 10. And in it, we're listening to the Apostle Paul. And he says, Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, last time I saw all of you, we were five days away from Christmas. And now, today we're five days away from a new year. In a new year, to me, it feels like a fresh start. You get out that new calendar, you hang it on your wall. January is wide open. You say, oh, it's a new year. I have a new vision for the year. Things are going to be different this year. These are my resolutions for the year. This is how I picture the new year going. All of my problems from last year, I'm going to leave behind in 2020. 2021 is going to be a different year. And yet what happens when we go into the new year? We find that our problems go with us into the new year. We can't quite leave them behind in the past. And we have pain in our lives that we would like to leave in the past, that we'd like to leave in 2021. But we also have pain in the past that we've had maybe since 1990 or since 2000. We have certain things in our lives that we don't want to be in our lives anymore. We say, any day now, I won't have to struggle with that pain anymore. And yet, even though it's a new year, we have the same thorn, the same pain, the same struggle that we've been experiencing, the same bad habits, the same addictions, the same struggles. And when we look in Scripture, 
it comforts us and it encourages us, but it also confuses us, doesn't it? Because when you look in Scripture, you see that Jesus healed people who had ailments and who had infirmities for long periods of time. And when we read that Jesus healed people, we say, well, Jesus, how could you heal them but not heal me? Why did Jesus heal the blind but he hasn't healed my depression? Why did Jesus heal the leper but he hasn't healed my chronic pain? Why did Jesus heal the lame but he hasn't healed my cancer? You know, it's okay to ask questions like that. It's good to ask questions like that. And the good news is the Bible asks questions like that too. And today we find that the Apostle Paul is the specific person that the Bible is asking those questions through because Paul is struggling with those very same questions. Now it's not that Paul doesn't believe that God can do miracles and heal people and remove what we're struggling with and what's causing us pain. It's not that he doesn't believe that. Think about this. God has worked miracles through the Apostle Paul. There's been people who have had ailments that have come into contact with Paul. And because of that, they've been healed. In Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 12, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirit left them. That is something that happened through Paul, people being healed of their infirmities. And yet you would think that Paul, if he has a struggle, if he has something that he's going through, well, then God could, of course, heal him if he had used him to heal other people. And yet we find that in this passage, Paul is asking, pleading with God to take something away from him. And yet God is not removing it. From him. And when we pray for God to remove from us what's hurting us and he doesn't do it, we start to wonder, God, do you really care about me at all? God, do you really love me? If you can heal me, if you can take away what's hurting in my life, and you simply won't. You say, no. Paul wants us to see that the answer to the question, does he really care? Does he really love me? The answer to that question is absolutely and undeniably, yes. Yes, he does. And the thorn in your flesh is not something you experience God's care in spite of. The thorn in your flesh is something you experience God's care through. It's how you experience God's love through the pain in your life. And we say, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense, Cody. How could a thorn in my flesh be a way for me to experience God's care and love? Well, we're going to answer that question today. That's the question we're going to look at. But the way we're going to answer it is by looking at that thorn. We're going to examine that thorn. And when we look at the thorn in the flesh, I want us to see the meaning of the thorn. I want us to see the purpose of the thorn, and I want us to see the invitation of the thorn. So first, the meaning of the thorn. What's the meaning of the thorn in our flesh? Well, Paul says in verse 6 through 7 
that he was given a thorn in his flesh. And of course, as you all know, he's not talking about a literal thorn in his flesh. He's using figurative language. You know, when I was uh, a kid, me and my brother, we had a friend who had a pool. And one time we were throwing this little splash ball to each other. And one of us threw it too high and it went out of the pool. And I said, okay, I'll go get it. And I got out of the pool and I started running towards the lawn. That's not hard to go get my little ball, is it? Well, except for the fact that I didn't know that this lawn was full of stickers. And I ran, I charged towards that lawn and boom, boom, ow. And I gave up my search for my ball. Why? Because my mind was fixated on pain. My mind was fixated on something sharp in my flesh. And when Paul says a thorn was placed in my side, he's not talking about a literal thorn or sticker, but something is hurting him in the same way that is something sharp in your flesh would to the point where he can't stop thinking about it. And all he can think about is how much he wants it to be removed. You know, if you get a splinter and you don't say, I'll take care of that later. You say, I got to get that out now. I need it out now. And there are things in life that happen to us. They hurt so bad, but they're all we can think about. Paul doesn't tell us exactly what he's struggling with. Some scholars say that maybe the thorn in his flesh is persecution that he's enduring. Maybe the thorn in his flesh is mental stress that he's going through from leading all of these churches. Some say that it might be a physical ailment. Maybe something's wrong with his eyes. Maybe he has a sickness that is causing him severe pain in his body. We don't know what it is, but we do know that it was hurting him. And we do know that we can relate to Paul because we also experience things in our lives that we desperately want to be taken away from us. But what else did he say about this thorn in his flesh? He says that it was a messenger of Satan to torment me. That word we translate as torment in our Bibles, it literally means in Greek to strike with the fist. It essentially means to beat up. He says, this thorn in my flesh is essentially Satan beating me up, standing over me and pummeling me with his fist. And when we're on the ground and Satan is pummeling us with his fist, what do we wonder? We say, God, um, you see this? You see that Satan is literally beating me up? God, where are you? What are you doing? Why does God allow this? Why does God allow things like this to happen in our lives? Well, Paul said it happened to him to keep him from being conceited. To keep him from being conceited. What does he mean by that? Conceited that word he uses in the Greek that we translate as conceited means to raise oneself up, to exalt oneself. Paul was in danger because of his success in ministry, his success in evangelism. His success caused him to be in danger of thinking that he is strong. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul would be strong. If I'm weak and I say I'm strong, does that make me strong? No, it just means that I've mislabeled myself. And we might say, who cares if Paul mislabels himself? Who cares? That Just let him say that he's strong even though he's weak. Well, think about it. If you're moving furniture and you put all the glass in one box, what do you do? You, you write fragile on it. If you didn't write fragile on it, would that mean that it's durable? 
No, it would still be weak, but now it would be mishandled. And when you write fragile on it, people know that it needs special care and attention. And Paul says, I was in danger of thinking I was weak and needed to be reminded by my weakness that I'm fragile and I need God's special attention and care. The meaning of the thorn for us is that we are weak. And it's only when we have a thorn in our side and we're pleading for God to help us do we see how weak we are. Only when we experience weakness do we do what? Do we go seek out help? When I was in high school, uh, when I joined the football team, one of the first things that I had to do was join the football team's conditioning and so one of the things that we did, one of the drills, you've probably never had to do this before. I wish I never had to do this before, but I hated this drill so much. I thought, I just, I hated it. It was called um, the mat drill. So they had this big mat that they had laid out, and the coach would blow a whistle, and when he did, you would run, and you would do a front roll, and then if they whistled again, maybe you'd do a back roll. They would tell you all the rolls you had to do before you started, and then you would charge through and finish strong. And so one day I did this, but the person in line behind me went too soon. And so as I was starting my front roll, my foot, my right foot was, you know, kind of like this, kind of bent forward. And the person behind me had already started their roll and they rolled into my foot, which caused a bone in the top of my foot to chip off. And so I had a broken and I started to realize just how weak and fragile my body is. And when I was confronted with how weak I was, what did that cause me to have to do? It caused me to have to rely on other people. Anybody who's ever broken something in their body knows how much they need other people to help them. They need doctors to help them find a way to get that bone fixed. You can't even drive yourself around. At least I couldn't with a broken right foot. I needed friends and family to drive me all over the place. My weakness proved to me that I need help. And your weakness that you experience when there's pain in your life proves to you that you also need help. Your weakness and your pain is God trying to get your attention just like he was trying to get Paul's attention, that Paul needed help. C.S. Lewis, he puts it this way. He says, we can ignore even pleasure. You know, if life was just going from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure, we could ignore that, right? But he says, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. If you're in pain and you're hurting, God wants to speak to you through that. And what does he want to say? He wants to say, you need me. I know you think you're strong, but you're actually weak. You need to seek me out because you know that you're weak. You know you can't handle this alone. God was trying to communicate to Paul through his storm. And God wants to communicate to you. And he does communicate to you in the very same way. The meaning 
of your thorn is that you're weak. But what's the purpose of the thorn? What's the purpose of the thorn? Verses 8 through 9, we see that Paul pleaded with the Lord three times, three times for his thorn to be taken away. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If the meaning of the thorn was that Paul was weak, then the purpose of the thorn was to show Paul that God is strong. The purpose of the thorn is to show us that God is strong, to show us that his grace is actually sufficient. Now, Paul knew this intellectually. He knew that God was strong. He knew in his head that God's grace was sufficient, but he had to know it deep down inside. And the only way for that to happen was for him to have a thorn placed in his flesh. And as much as we hate thorns, we hate thorns, we don't like thorns, but as much as we hate thorns, there are certain things that we can only learn about God through thorns. Do you realize that? There are certain things we just cannot learn or know about God until we experience severe pain in our lives. This week, I started reading a book by a Jesuit priest named James Martin. And James Martin, he talks about uh, how we think about God and what changes our understanding of God. And he talks about how when he grew up as a kid, he thought of God, his impression of God was that God was the great problem solver. God exists to solve all my problems. Anything I go through, anytime I go through something bad, God will be there and God will fix it immediately. Because God is good. Why would God let anything bad happen in my life? And that was his view of God up until college. But when he was in college, one of his friends named Brad was in an auto accident. And his friend, at the age of 21, died. When James was at Brad's funeral, and he saw Brad's mom and dad weeping and crying, he saw his family and friends devastated, it didn't fit. It didn't fit his understanding of God. He said, if God is a great problem solver, how can this happen? How can Brad be dead at this young age. And so he said, I'm no longer a believer. I don't believe in God. He, he decided I'm, I'm going to be an atheist. And he said that he kind of enjoyed his newfound atheism for a few months. He enjoyed feeling uh, intellectually superior to other people. He said that he enjoyed having his Sundays freed up and not having to go to church on Sundays anymore. But you know what? Even though he didn't believe in God anymore, he still had a thorn in his flesh. His friend had just died, and he was still in pain. And one day he ran into a girl named Jackie. Now, Jackie also went to school with him, and she had shared an accounting class with Brad. And he poured out his frustration to Jackie, who was a Christian. And he said, you're the believer. Explain this. And she said, well, I've been thanking God for Brad's life. And he said he sat there in, in stunned silence because he never thought about it that way. He never thought about the fact that Brad's life was a gift from God. And yes, there was suffering in his life, but he said that Jackie's response, it didn't answer his question, but it nudged him back onto the path of return. And what does this have to do with suffering? What does this have to do with a thorn in your flesh? Well, I'll quote him because I want to use his exact 
words that he said. He said, if God wasn't the great problem solver, the God of my youth, who was he? Not until I entered the Jesuits and began hearing about a different kind of God, a God who is with you when you're suffering, a God who took a personal interest in your life, even if you didn't feel that all your problems were solved, did life start to make more sense. That's not to say I ever found an entirely satisfying answer to the mystery of suffering or for why my friend's life was ended at 21, but it helped me to understand the importance of being in relationship with God even during difficult times. You know, James' suffering was not good. The fact that his friend died in a car wreck at the age of 21 was not good. But do you see that God used it for good? God used it to, for good without it. Without that thorn in his flesh, James couldn't have seen that God is with you when you're suffering. Without experiencing that suffering, James couldn't have seen that God takes a personal interest in your life, even if you feel that all your problems aren't solved. Sometimes God will take away a comfort from your life. Sometimes you'll experience pain in your life. And it may not be from God, but God will allow it. And we may not realize it at the time, but God is using it to impress upon us how sufficient he is. You may have heard this quote before. You don't know God is all you need until God is all you have. You don't know God is all you need until God is all you have. Now, we can agree with that. We can say, yeah, I agree. But only those who have been there where God is all they had, only they can say, yes, yes, that is absolutely true. All I had was God, and yet he was sufficient. His grace was sufficient for me. The purpose of your thorn for Satan is what? Why does he want to give you a thorn? To drive you away from God. To say, I don't want anything to do with God if he's going to allow this pain in my life. But the purpose of your thorn for God is to drive you closer to him. That's the purpose of your thorn for God. But what is the invitation of the thorn? There's an invitation of the thorn. And we see it in verses 9 through 10. And in verse 9, Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. What is boasting about your weakness? What does your weakness have to do with Christ's power resting on you? Because your thorn, your struggle, your weakness is an invitation to know Jesus' strength and power. It's an opportunity. It's an invitation to see and know how strong and powerful he is. Now, I mentioned it last week, but a couple of weeks ago, I went to the doctor and was told that I have type 2 diabetes. And for me, that was an incredible struggle. That was, I was in shock when I heard it and I couldn't wrap my mind around it, but now I'm getting more used to it. But obviously, it's been hard for me to have lived one way for 30 years and then learn for the rest of my life, you have to live a different way. And I'm, I've been feeling a little bit better this week, but there are some low moments where I start to feel down and start to feel sad about having diabetes. And at one particular low moment this week when I was feeling sad about it, I just 
expressed it to God. I said, God, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this for the rest of my life? How, how am I going to go on with this new lifestyle? And yeah, I know it sounds weird and a little suspicious when preachers say God said something to them. I didn't hear like a loud, audible voice from God, but I felt like I heard in, in my mind that God was telling me, Cody, we'll get through this together. We'll get through this together. And that was comforting to me to hear that from God, but it was confusing too. We'll get this to get through this together. What? Why not you'll get through this together? God doesn't have diabetes. God doesn't have diabetes, and I have diabetes. Why would he say, we'll get through this together? Well, I didn't understand what God meant, what God was saying to me, until I remembered something that Jesus said. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when you hear that, I know for most of my life when I heard that, that was comforting to hear Jesus say, but it was hard for me to picture because I grew up in Dallas, so I'm not very familiar with yokes. What are yokes used for? Well, you know, of course we learn, and you probably all know, that a yoke is something that a farmer would place on an ox to carry a heavy load. So in my mind, I picture Jesus saying, okay, well, this load's a little bit less. Take my load and take my yoke. And I picture myself saying, okay, well, this load's a little bit lesser, but I'm putting on this yoke, and Jesus, you know, is riding behind me, and okay, it weighs less, but... That's not what Jesus means. Do you realize that? Jesus is not saying, put my yoke on and I'll sit behind you while you go forward. I always had that picture, but do you know what changed my picture of what Jesus was saying? Do you know what helped me understand what Jesus is really saying when he said, take my yoke upon you? When you actually look at a yoke, there's a curve for the neck of the ox, right? But there's not just one curve. There's two curves. Why? Because a yoke doesn't just go on one ox. It goes on two. And when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm already in the yoke. Join me. Take my yoke upon you. Give me all of your burdens. And you'll find that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we put that yoke on us, we find that our same burden is light. But how could it be that our same burden is now light? Because Jesus is strong. Have you ever helped someone move that's really strong? It's a lot easier when they're strong. And Jesus doesn't give us a lighter load to carry. No, Jesus takes the load that we already have and carries it with us. And we don't have to go through it alone. Jesus is strong, and when we're with him, his strength makes up for our weakness. That's why he says, my power is made perfect in your weakness, because my strength will be enough for what you can't carry on your own. But you know, 
It's not people that have a perfect life that come to Jesus. It's people that are weary and burdened. Because if I see Jesus with a yoke on, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I'm out here saying, no, I, I don't have any burdens. I'm not weary. Will I ever come to Jesus? No. Only when I realize how weak and helpless I am, that I can't carry my load on my own, will I ever come to him and give it to him. Only then will I do that. And only then when I give it to him, will I be able to hear him say to me, we'll get through this together. Why? Because I've invited you to be with me. Because I'm Emmanuel, God with you. And we know that God is with us through Jesus. We can do what? We can delight in our weaknesses. We can delight in our hardships, our persecutions, and our difficulties. Why? Why could Paul say, I can delight in those things? Because he knew Jesus would be with him, in him. And we can know the exact same thing. Jesus will be with me in everything that I go through. And where I'm weak, he will be strong. And next year, 2021, you may have the same thorn that you have this year, that you had in 2020. But maybe the next year you'll still have it. And maybe in 2030, you'll still have that same thorn. Maybe in 2040, you'll still have that same thorn. I don't know what your thorn is. I don't know how long you'll have it. You may have it for the rest of your life. And when you have it, and it's not removed from you, you'll start to wonder, does God really care about me? Does God really love me if he hasn't removed it? And when that happens, how does Jesus respond? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, I know what it's like to plead three times for something to be removed from you and yet not have it removed from you. I know because it happened to me in the garden of Gethsemane when I asked the Father to remove the cup of his wrath from me three times, pleaded for it, and it wasn't removed. I know what it's like to have a thorn in your flesh because I had a crown of thorns placed in my head because I had a nail driven into my hands and nails driven into my feet on the cross. I know what it's like to have a thorn in your flesh. I know what it's like to be in total and absolute darkness. Because on the cross, when I took on your sin and I took on the sin of the world and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I was in total, complete, utter darkness on the cross. Why would Jesus go to the cross if it meant that? that he would suffer, that he would have thorns in his flesh, that he would be in total darkness. Why would he do it? Well, he did it so that you could know that your thorns have an expiration date. Your thorns will not last forever. Where are Jesus' thorns? Are they still in his wrist? Are they still on his feet? Are they still in his head? No, because he took them for us and he was raised to life. That which is sown perishable has been raised imperishable. And because that happened to Jesus, we can know that the same thing will happen to us. We who are sown perishable will be raised 
imperishable. We will be raised with Jesus never to experience thorns ever again because Jesus took our thorns on himself so that we can know the days of having thorns in us is limited. It won't last forever. But until that day that we're raised with him, we'll have his grace because of what he did for us on the cross. And we'll find that his grace is sufficient. Paul, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he said it this way. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Yes, we're suffering. Yes, it hurts. But when we think about the glory that God purchased for us through Jesus, it's not even worth comparing to what God has in store for us. Your thorn may be strong, but God is stronger. And when you're weak, and you know that God is strong, then you'll know that as long as God is with you, you're strong. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we are fragile, weak people. We need your help. We need to see that. And when we experience shortcomings, when we experience illnesses, when we experience sadness, God, those are not good things, but God, you use those things. You don't ever waste those things. You help us to see that we need your help. And God, you have a purpose for things that are senseless. God, and so I pray that we would trust you. Whatever the thorn is in our flesh, God, I, I pray, God, that we will trust you with it. And we'll know that we can cope with anything as long as you're with us. Because your grace is not lacking. Your grace is sufficient for us. And we're weak, but your power is made perfect in our weaknesses. And so we'll delight in our hardships, our persecutions, whatever we go through, our difficulties. Because when we're weak, then we're strong. And when we're weak, we get to experience your power and your strength. We love you. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.